Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Dan Spencer, and my role at CM Medical is specialising in the recruitment for spinal, orthopaedic and digital health markets. In recent years, we've seen a significant uptake in the adoption of VR technologies throughout the spine and orthopaedic surgery spaces to support surgical planning and training. With COVID-19 lockdowns happening across the globe, VR technology has become even more important to the way surgeons work and learn. As a result, this has motivated a new wave of adoption for the innovative technology. In this episode of CM Conversations, I talked to Chris Scattergood, the COO and co-founder of Fundamental VR. Fundamental Surgery is Fundamental VR's medical education platform. It delivers simulation within the surgical setting that has achieved educational accreditation from leading medical institutions such as the AAOS and Royal College of Surgeons England. In my CM conversation with Chris, we discuss the value of VR technology for surgery, the fundamental VR offering, and the impact of COVID-19. So here it is. I hope you enjoy listening to our discussion. Okay, thanks for joining, Chris. Um, we're really excited to have you on the pod. Firstly, please do share a little more information on yourself and, and some insights into, into the company Fundamental VR. Hi, uh, thanks very much, Dan. So my name is Chris Scattergood. I'm one of the co-founders of Fundamental VR. Um, we've been in the medical simulation and education business now for about five years, solely focused on um, VR and its application to the uh, the transfer of skills and the assessment of skills in the medical space. Okay, fantastic. And, um, and when... Uh, was fundamental uh, created, and um, I guess uh, what what brought on the idea of the business? Well, the company itself dates back to 2010 when we formed it, but it's really since uh, around 2014 when we realised, having worked with a number of um, clients, including Oculus, we realised that this new platform was coming out and was going to really transform the way people could communicate in the future. And at the same time, we were working with medical clients and understanding their educational challenges and we simply put two and two together uh, and immediately realized the the benefit that vr would be able to bring then and into the future and it's been an amazing uh, five-year journey or so where we've really seen the technology mature um, the educational content the technical capability uh, and all of these things have come together over those five years uh, to really create a, a quite a valuable product and solution for our clients. Okay, and, and obviously for those that that don't know or maybe haven't come across this before, your technology obviously provides virtual reality simulation for for the healthcare industry. Um, can you just tell a bit more about sort of what the the application of it's for, who sort of uses it, and 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 how it's I guess impacting um, education within within healthcare. Uh, yeah, so firstly, in terms of um, what this means is we're able to put a simulation in front of a medical professional, uh, let's say a surgeon, and we're able to allow them to step into a virtual operating room, look around, see colleagues, um, to see patients, to look at patient anatomy, and then to explore that anatomy. And there's a number of companies around that provide that capability. It's kind of the flight simulator for surgeons. Now, what we're doing differently is we have incorporated haptics, and that's the sense of touch. So unlike other simulations in virtual reality, where you may have the opportunity to go through procedural steps 
and to understand how a process, uh, how a procedure works. Uh, with our simulation, you can actually feel the interaction with the patient. And surgeons on an ongoing basis tell us that it's that feeling that is really important in terms of skills transfer and skills acquisition. So imagine being able to feel as you saw through uh, a patient's femur uh, and know that you're going through the cancellous bone and approaching the cortical bone on the other side. Imagine being able to feel that and knowing and learning when to stop, when to be safe. And that's really the power of, of what we've got. And what we've done is we've got um, uh, haptics at the kind of the top of the pyramid uh, as being the, the way to really transfer and assess skills. But then under that, we can offer different forms of VR, more simple yet more scalable VR that can uh, mean that for any client, we can put together a really nice blend of technology that suits their curriculum and their educational purposes. Okay, so it, you obviously mentioned the, the feeling and, and, and what you can get from, from the technology. How do people or how was education typically delivered before this, this kind of technology was available? So I think when you look at the legacy education, um, you'd probably be looking at cadavers, um, sawbones, um, uh, some form of computer um, based learning. And there's a number of different mixes of technologies, uh, old and new, that, that are involved in this space. And I think what VR does, though, is, is it puts you, it immerses you into a world that can incorporate the best aspects from all of those elements uh, and create a learning environment that has this, um, this, this kind of this ongoing objective assessment that can be so powerful. So, for example, at the moment, if you are a resident at NYU, you can take home one of the VR headsets with our um, software on it and standing in your own kitchen you can practice again and again and again on an orthopedic procedure and you can do that and you can continue to do that as you get better and better and learn the steps and learn how it should work but what we can then do is as that resident is going through that training uh, and going through that assessment all of their um, all of their results, all of those assessments are uploaded to the secure cloud. And that allows their resident director to be able to see how well they're doing. Now, what they can then do is they can put on their headset, the other side of New York, for example, or even the other side of the world if they wanted, and they can arrange to join in with that resident. So then you've got the trainee and the trainer in the same virtual space. They can meet each other. They can shake virtual hands with each other. They can look at the patient, look at what stage they're at. They can work through the entire procedure together and they can give their advice and give mentoring. Ah, I see why you've had problems with uh, the way that you're reaming the acetabulum. Um, you need to approach it more from this angle and to give that level of coaching that um, is really difficult. So it's 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 got coaching, which is great and important and always has been but has been difficult and expensive to achieve in the past but it's got the ability to practice on your own with objective measurement uh, and that's where vr really is powerful these days yeah and, and you mentioned um the cost of of coaching and training in, in general uh for those that don't know obviously uh, surgeon education tends to involve uh, a lot of travel, uh, a huge amount of organization to bring surgeons together. 
And then obviously it's a time sensitive thing because these people are busy. So this obviously bridges that gap, but where are we from an adoption perspective? How is the industry adopting it? And why aren't there loads of companies that, 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 that are providing this kind of service? I think there are, firstly, there are a lot of companies who are trying to provide this service. Um, what we've learned over the last five years is that making VR itself is relatively straightforward. There's hundreds of companies that can do that all over the world. There's probably a hundred of them within two miles of my uh, my office where I am now. Um, the real difference is understanding the educational needs of the audience, whether they're uh, more junior surgeons or whether they're more senior surgeons. And it's that educational understanding and then mapping the technology to fit that that is the real skill. And there's probably only a handful of companies that uh, are in that space, uh, ourselves and our competitors. Um, uh, and that is the real secret source, if you like, is being able to marry up those, uh, the technology and the educational needs. Okay. And, and you guys have obviously, uh, if you visit the website, you can see the, the technology in, um, in action and, and the impact that it has. And you've done quite a lot within sort of the orthopedic and, and the spinal realm. Is the plan to expand that further afield and, and, and to, to go into different uh, medical segments? Yes, it is. So in any medical sphere where you have a requirement to provide some form of objective measurement and training and skills assessment, which will, which will benefit from using haptics, this sense of touch, uh, any area is uh, valuable. I think we've most recently we've looked at ophthalmology and we have uh, two or three clients in that space who we're working with very deeply. So for Orbis, the international eye charity, um, we have a number of systems in place with them on a global basis, and they're using that to train and assess uh, ophthalmologists on a global basis and be able to understand how they can um, invest more money and more effort and more of their charitable resources into increasing the skill levels around the world of surgeons and, and basically um, reducing the amount of unnecessary blindness that there is out there. Okay, and it's interesting because there's there's companies like yourself. There's uh, Proximy as an example, who are again connecting surgeons in a in a slightly different way. But that the whole remote connection aspect seems to be prevalent at the moment, particularly after the year that that we've had um, worldwide with with COVID having an impact. How has that then impacted things for fundamental VR and? For medical education in itself, has it had a, a sort of a, a significant impact in demand or, or, or in sort of the interest uh, of this kind of technology? Uh, yeah, so it's been interesting to watch the market develop over the last five years. Uh, and I'd probably take us right the way up to January, February time and say at that point in February, um, our clients and um, others were, were starting to embrace the technology and realizing that it could be used to supplement their existing education and sales activities. Um, it was on, in the main, it was being looked at as an innovation and something that would be a good thing to invest in now because it would probably be wider scale at some point in the future. So we saw some early adopters we saw some people with a passion for technology getting involved. 
and typically that would be a medium seniority within any uh, client. I think what's happened as a result of COVID uh, is that that's all changed. It's now um, all of the major medical device pharma companies have an interest in can VR help them get through the challenges that they face. Um, they've all set up global task forces and those global task forces are then evaluating ourselves, our competition, people like Proxime as well, less of a competitor and, and more of a complementary type of service. But um, uh, it's these global task forces that are taking on the challenge of looking at how VR can help them. And obviously now it's very much uh, a more important solution. It's more core to their business. So no longer is it uh, a case of let's try and do something with a small provider who might be able to make something for us and we can use it to try and promote a product in a particular line or uh, try and support us at a conference. No, it's now a case of can we develop something that's integrated into our business and can actually help us in our core objectives of delivering shareholder value. Now, if you're going to get a product like that, and I'll come on to that in a bit more detail in a moment, you need to find a partner who's not going to be just a small shop that does a number of different things in VR. You need a specialist that uh, understands education and in the uh, life sciences space and has an organization that's built out to scale in that way. Some of our clients are actually using our product to develop a solution that will get their FDA clearance. Some of our clients are integrating our products into theirs so that every one of their products that ships will have a VR solution attached to it. And some of our clients are integrating their product into ours so that they can be an integrated part of our solution going forward as well. And you can't establish relationships like that and start working with a VR company that, that may have some VC backing, but ultimately be a small um, one-person directed business. You need um, the robustness of an organization like ourselves. Okay, so the technology is in a place where you're able to, let's say, um, take a manufacturer's specific type of implant or a specific procedure and actually implement the training techniques and, and sort of protocol in there. So it's not just based on, as an example, um, a standard knee replacement uh, surgery. Are you actually able then to apply that to a specific manufacturer's uh, product and, and the, the unique aspects and attributes that it has? We can incorporate any prosthetic in that way into our simulation. Yes, we can. Um, we can also incorporate any kind of um, specific. So let's say we're doing robotic surgery. We can incorporate that. We can incorporate the elements of preoperative planning. We can allow integration between, say, an iPad where you might be running through the software and practicing your preoperative planning and then bring it into the VR space and then connect with a colleague or uh, an educator the other side of the world to also um, to provide mentorship or, or to teach them. Um, so we can incorporate a heck of a lot in that space. And I think what's exciting as well is the opportunity to even prototype in the space. So just on a, something like a knee implant, um, you might find that to create a slightly different version of the product may take 
15 to 25 weeks just to create something that can put in a surgeon's hands. Well, we might be able to do that in two to three weeks and shorten that prototyping cycle uh, and allow somebody to say, well, actually, before you even manufacture this, I really don't like the fact that it's got uh, this particular bell or whistle on the left-hand side, and we need to review that. So um, the flexibility that VR can present, uh, as well as uh, with our multi-user VR, it's fascinating. So I really genuinely enjoy the opportunity to meet people these days. You mentioned COVID. So um, just a couple of days ago, I met with a surgeon from Memphis, one from uh, New York, and somebody in Paris as well. And the four of us were in there for a good hour and these are people that I've worked with before and developed a relationship, but it actually feels like you're collaborating in a, in a space. It's very hard to explain, but there's not the lag that you might expect or the unnaturalness of working with a sort of an avatar. It really feels like you're working with people in a collaborative way and you're able to solve problems that you wouldn't be able to do in the same way if you were just doing it on a Zoom call. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we, we've obviously spoken before about how uh, Zoom calls just seem to be the uh, uh, the go-to thing now. It's uh, any, any conversation tends to be via video, uh, whereas a year ago it was rarely done. So the actual ability to be able to immerse yourself and almost be in a room with with uh, with people all over the world, um, which then subsequently has environmental benefits. It has uh, an improvement to, to people's work-life balance and, and capability to spend time with family. It means that everything that I guess the industry uh, or the world has learned this year, we can continue to do those things with advancements in technology like this. And it's clear that I'm sure there's a phenomenal amount of, of benefits to the patients, aside from the fact that surgeons can train continuously and and feel more comfortable, uh, technology can be advanced. But where do you feel that this will take healthcare moving forward? Technology like yours and and, and the advancements that we have in, in, in the virtual reality spaces? Well, I think what we know is that um, someone like the NHS has allegedly taken a 10-year leap in, in 10 months uh, in terms of technology and the way that it's embraced it and the way that it's changed its culture in order to work in a more collaborative way and, and get through the challenges that have been thrown up. So that, that's been interesting to watch. Uh, and clear, you can see uh, many of the features you just talked about from uh, environmental through to um, the cost of traveling uh, in, in hard dollars uh, being reduced. So there's, there's elements like that. So I think there are a number of areas that we can see this um, going in the future from saving money, saving time. Uh, and that's important, as you just mentioned as well as the environmental costs. But in addition to that, I think we can look at how can we make it better? How can we make better training, more objective training? Um, many education systems in, in the surgical space are reviewing how education is delivered and measured. So is it a time-based thing? Do you do years one, two, three, four? Well done, you, you fulfilled the requirements, you turned up for that period of time. Or is it more about um, a capability measure and saying, when you are able to perform this procedure, you move on to the next one. Uh, and the ability to deliver those procedures in a virtual space makes that all the more possible and relevant. And that opens up surgery then. You no longer can only 
hire people as surgeons who have had four consecutive years in a row doing the training. Instead, you you're, start to encourage diversity, people who might not have had the money to be able to do that, but um, maybe uh, not have had the lifestyle or the family life and support to be able to do that. Um, so single parents, for example. Um, and and then there's many aspects of, of virtual reality training that, that start to change the dynamics. Another example, I would think, uh, not just virtual reality, what's happened in, in COVID is um, some of the people we work with closely who are residency directors in, say, a hospital on the east coast of America, uh, they may have run their courses or, or, or their um some of their projects on on a Tuesday morning, for example, and in, and asked all the people in the vicinity to come in and all the residents come in and do their training. Great. What's happened as a result of COVID is they suddenly realised they can also bring in people from other hospitals because they're doing it on a Zoom call, they're doing it remotely. Now, if you make that happen in VR, you've got something really powerful and something where you can incorporate the best possible educators anywhere in the world at any time. And you've got this cross-pollination of ideas then um, uh, that I think is re really fascinating. For me, I think probably the most exciting opportunity that we can see on the horizon is where we're able to perform patient-specific simulation. So that might mean a particular operation, we, we bring you in and scan you, and then if there is a particularly difficult part of that, operation where there may be two or three options or there may be um, uh, some very serious consequences if we don't go the exact right path let's uh, practice that an hour before going to work on you uh, and I think it's that very interesting patient specific simulation that, that could be quite rewarding in, in the future and lot, lots of technology and uh, political and uh, regulatory uh, barriers to overcome there but uh, it's something we're working on. Fantastic. So it's it's clear that the the directions are there, and I'm I'm sure with all of the the plans and the the processes that you've already gone through, have they been supported by uh, the the different educational institutions, the likes of the the AAOS and NAS and societies as such like that? Are, are those corporations supporting the the needs that you have to 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 sort of keep advancing these educational programs with virtual reality? Yeah, and I, I whilst I can't talk any specifics, what I can say is that there's a they too have created task forces. Um, each of the organisations you've talked about, and they are focused on what is the future of VR training and how can we overcome these issues that have uh, come as, as a result of social distancing to A, solve the problem in the next 12 months and to enable continuous medical training and evaluation. But going beyond there, um, how does it improve? And how does it change? And I think it, it's events like this, sadly, and, and like wars um, uh, that sadly prompt humans to develop the technology in more innovative ways as everyone knows um, when you get an ultrasound of your baby that's a result of submarine warfare uh, uh, unbelievably from from 40 years previous so the technology that we're developing to overcome the current issues will will have long broad and hopefully positive impacts on our healthcare systems going way into the future well, it's, it's amazing to see the positives that are coming from 
um, such adverse circumstances and, and obviously there were the remote capabilities to bring um, the less privileged regions to, together to get best in class education opportunities to have access to some of the, the, the leading surgeons around the world, which inadvertently will obviously greatly improve patient care, um, whether that be in sort of more deprived areas or, or in regions that just don't quite have the uh, the access to hospitals or, or to technology that they need. Uh, this kind of system and software can can help with that. So it's brilliant to to have, have learned more about virtual reality and, and, and the way that fundamental VR uh, amongst other manufacturers in the industry are, of course, trying to improve the quality of, of education and training for uh, the healthcare industry and, and ultimately to improve lives. So it's an exciting space and, and we're really um, really interested to see where this can go, particularly with things like patient-specific education in, in, in progress. So hopefully we can catch up with you again in, um, in the distant future and, and learn more about how things have shaped. But, but for now, really do appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to see how things, um, things pan out for Fundamental VR during your expansion over the, the coming years. That's great, Dan, and it's been great to talk to you. I, I think you're right. I think the, the future is looking really promising for this industry. And as you said, the ability uh, right now, we can connect a leading ophthalmologist in New York to a junior ophthalmologist uh, in India, and they can support each other. And in India, the, um, the ophthalmologist can actually feel as they're cutting into the patient's eye and creating a scleral tunnel, for example, they can feel it and they can get guidance from the person over in New York. And, and those, that's an amazing technology that's really come about uh, in the last year. And I think shows great promise for the industry. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak with you again soon. Thanks, Dan. Great to speak to you. Thank you. Cheers. So that was my CM conversation with Chris Scattergood, the co-founder of Fundamental VR. Personally, I was fascinated by the power that VR technology has to advance the surgical space. I also found the impact of COVID-19 on this sector very interesting too. I'd like to thank Chris for his time and his insight, and I'll be looking forward to seeing how Fundamental VR develop in this exciting market. If you'd like to listen to, read, or watch any more of my medtech content, go to searchingmedical.com. And for more podcasts like this about the markets Charlton Morris serve, please subscribe to CM Conversations. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Dan Spencer. Bye for now.